This episode contains some strong language. Netaforte presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 3 The New Guard. Netaporte is excited to bring you the third series of the Incredible Woman podcast. In this series, we are sitting down with a new generation of trailblazers, a lineup of amazing women who are rising to the top of their fields, not only thanks to their immense talents, but also because of their determination to shape a better future for their industries and beyond. Hosted by me, Kay Barron, Fashion Director at Netaporte. In this episode, we are joined by Charlie XCX the music maverick and singer-songwriter who has redefined the pop landscape. Born Charlotte Aitchison, she started writing songs at the age of 14 and releasing them on MySpace. She adopted the moniker Charlie XCX from her MSN messenger name and signed her first record deal when she was still a teenager. Fast forward a decade and she's a multi-award winning force within the industry. Broadening the horizons of the pop scene, Charlie traverses the boundaries of mainstream and her fandom has grown from an internet cult following to a global legion who call themselves her angels. In addition to writing music, she also runs a label, directs music videos and manages developing artists. Earlier this year, she entered the podcast sphere as the host of BBC Radio 1's podcast, Best Song Ever, in which she asks guests to share their top song choice for a variety of scenarios, such as the best song to get through a heartbreak, the best song to be thrown out of a club to, and what song would be played at your funeral. She is passionate about using her now global platform to amplify marginalised voices and in 2019 was named Gay Times Ally of the Year. Her fifth studio album will land in early 2022. The recently released first single, Good Ones, marks a new chapter for Charlie XCX, in which the pop star embraces, in her own words, all that my life has to offer in today's world, fame, glamour, inner demons and global hits. Hi, Charlie. Thank you for joining us on our Incredible Woman podcast today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well. But I'd love to kick off by hearing your earliest memories of music. What was your favourite music to listen to as a child? Where your passion for writing your own songs came from? And also any of the earliest lyrics that you wrote? Wow. Um, Big first question. Yeah. When I was younger, I was definitely like a pop head you know I was listening to the Spice Girls they were my world for sure also Britney Spears and I I remember sitting on the floor watching the TV I'm guessing it was BBC there was kind of like some news report on her video hit me baby one more time and how it was like you know swooping the globe and was this big phenomenon and I just remember being like, I want to be Britney. So I think that was probably one of my first big memories of music, along with just my constant journey with the Spice Girls. When it comes to lyrics, <laughs> yeah, I formed a couple of playground bands when I was younger. One was called Sunrise. I'm still very good friends with all of the members of the band. Brilliant. Um, although I'd say we're on a, we've been on a very, very long hiatus, but never say never. But we had this song called Man Oh Man, 
which is funny because I think we were about seven when we formed and maybe seven and a half when we took our long pause. But it's funny, me and Millie, one of the other members, we were together not too long ago and we'd all remember, like, we both remember every word to that song and the melody. And it kills me that I'm about to do this, but it kind of went... And we sang it in this voice. I don't know why, but it went, man, oh, man, you're tiring me out. Oh, like that. (laughs) Hell, (laughs) a literal hell. Um, But yeah, that was the first song I wrote. Yeah. I think it might be time for Sunshine to come back. Yeah. You've got quite a busy schedule, but I think, you know, man, oh, man with Millie. You know, (laughs) you know what, though? I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but... I think the fact that we remember the song to this day means there is possibly something in it. So <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's really seared in my brain. So you, maybe you'll hear it, a Charlie XCX cover of Man Oh Man by Sunrise. Well, I feel, I feel like that was just an exclusive we got there. <laughs> so I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Because you talked about obviously Britney Spears and, and the Spice Girls and obviously... That was kind of the part of the music video sort of generation where we lots of us heard those those songs for the first time. Mm. But obviously, you're part of the MySpace generation too, which was the kind of first public platform for your music. How do you imagine things would be different if you were trying to break into the industry now? Oh, I think it would be completely different. I mean, MySpace felt very much to me, at least like the only option of how I could gain fans from my bedroom, so to speak. You know, I wasn't really making music where I could sort of go and, like, play at pubs and things like that. I was, you know, it wasn't me and a guitar or anything like that, which, I mean, that sounds like a real hustle and extremely hard. I wanted to kind of, like promote myself within the confines of my own home and that did eventually lead to shows like parties and warehouse things and stuff like that but yeah the jump off was definitely MySpace and I I don't know where else I would have gone but now I feel like there are so many ways that you can kind of start your own narrative online for your music and sort of build a community and a fan base. But I also feel like there are so many more people doing it that it's probably a lot harder to cut through. And so if you are cutting through, I think that probably means that you have something really, really special and that you are really able to connect with people. I think part of the reason that artists especially young artists who are navigating all the different like pathways of the internet break through and like stick is because they are basically incredible brand managers (laughs) and they know how to work their brand and their language with the tools that they have which I think is like super important and a real skill to be honest. Yeah, I agree. And it's also that hunger for it as well, mm. which, I mean, obviously you had too. And, you know, it, I think the idea of having those basically marketing skills from an early age is even more daunting than having that skill set in the first place. Yeah, totally. 
But I think amid, amid the madness of the last year, and it almost probably kind of brought you back to when you were first creating music because you had, you know, the limitations of, of lockdown and you created something amazing, the album How I'm Feeling Now, which you wrote from scratch in just five weeks from home, which I think is just an incredible achievement. And it's a very collaborative process of making and releasing, incorporating fan feedback and contributions. What did you learn about your creative process during that time? I learned that I thrive under pressure. Um, Well, yeah, at the time, I think that's what I thought that I learned. But since then, I've been, you know, working on a new record with sort of no time constraints and that used to be something that really stressed me out but it's actually been quite fun so I suppose I learned that I can work under pressure like that kind of setting of the time limit was quite like an exciting challenge I suppose you know I also learned that my fans have great taste and that it's really fun to collaborate with them you know like to hear their feedback and incorporate it and even like write lyrics with them over Instagram live. Like it definitely could have been a disaster, (laughs) you know, but it wasn't, it was cool. And I really kind of respect their taste. And I think that we are very aligned actually in like our aesthetic choices. And that was cool to find out. Well, there's such an element of trust in that too. Did you set yourself that five week window and did you did you start it in order to kind of, you know, keep yourself from from basically going mad during lockdown? Well, yes, I did set myself the five week window. And the reason I wanted to make the record was sort of, yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, I think I was like, okay, I can use this time to do this because I'm not doing anything else. Not that me making an album is going to fucking change the world or anything, but, like, for my fans who are, like, looking at me, like, maybe this will bring them just, like, a tiny snippet of joy, which would be cool. You know, I don't think I'm going to, like, change anyone's life or anything, but, like, I just felt like that could be, like, a cool contribution from me and also maybe, like inspire them to be creative and get involved in the process and give them something to look forward to you know I don't know I hope that doesn't sound too like arrogant I, I, I'm really aware that me making an album in lockdown isn't, isn't really that important but I don't know for, for some fans it like felt like actually maybe it, it was at points which was really cool but then yeah I mean the second reason was like I think for myself for my own sanity without music and all of the things that come along with my job which include travel and communication and live shows like what am I who am I and I think that was something that I subconsciously was already struggling with and by throwing myself into making the album I didn't have to face that head-on but when the album was done I really had like a breakdown because it was so much in five weeks and it was so quick and fast and go, 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 go. That when I stopped, I was just like, whoa, like what am I without this? And I think actually the process after the album came out was almost more important to me because that's when I 
had to really like look at myself and take time with myself, you know? Well, because I think that possibly, you know, opening that, that line of communication between you and your fans became a lifeline probably for them and for you. And I don't mm. think that that would ever be underplayed for what you needed and what they needed at the time. But you've, you've also spoken about starting therapy in lockdown as well. I think I'd been one of those people who'd always been like, I, I'm going to start therapy. I'm just going to do it next week. I'm going to start therapy. I'm going to do it next week. You know, and <laughs> like... I'd probably said that for like a year, maybe more. And then when the, it actually was weird. It happened, I actually took the step right before lockdown. Yeah, I don't know for anyone listening who hasn't gone down the therapy road, I can't like recommend it highly enough. It's really been life-changing for me as quite a recent, you know, partaker. I think it's really amazing. I think it's so important to talk about it because um, I think it's getting better and better. But do you feel that there is kind of enough of a a support network out there for recording artists, especially female recording artists at this point, to kind of be honest about their mental health? I've always felt very supported and, and that's really lucky. But, you know, I think it's less about like us as in recording artists who often do have like a sort of network of people to lean on and confide in. And it's more about, you know, maybe people who don't have that system set up around them, who maybe don't even know like the first steps to take when it comes to seeking out a therapist or what they can afford, get for free, like what healthcare can like support them in their journey to get therapy, like figuring out all of that stuff. I think it's kind of more important that that is a conversation that starts happening. But yeah, I suppose that also kind of stems from just like people who have a platform being able to just say like, hey, like talking about mental health is not a taboo thing and it's important that we all do it because if you're happy and healthy in your mind that will help you live a happier and healthier life I suppose yeah and I think that it does you know it depends what your relationship is like with with social media I mean obviously mm-hmm. there's positive and negative but the positive is you've got this community that can communicate with you in, in this way and also hear what what you're saying how do you feel about social social media now and how you use your platform I feel fine about it, to be honest. Like, I've definitely had my sort of run-ins with social media. And, you know, there's been, like, times in life where I've hated it so much and where I've really just gone too deep and been offended or upset by anything that someone has, like, tweeted at me that I've felt was, like, rude or I don't know mean but now I'm just I'm like too old to care about that shit you know like and I feel like now I'm just kind of enjoying like using social media in I don't know a way that I find inspiring like I'm just enjoying having fun with it in a way that I think is interesting 
Interesting and that you feel comfortable with as well. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, you're, you've got such a kind of specific image, especially, in, you know, and in the, the latest video for the new single, Good Ones, mm-hmm. that sense of style really comes across in that. How important is that idea of crafting an image to you? Hugely important. I care sometimes more about the aesthetics of a campaign than the, than the sound, <laughs> to be honest. And I know that that's not a very, like, purist musician thing to say but it's just honestly something that I've always felt like if the marketing campaign behind an album or an artist is exceptional I'm probably going to like the music anyways it just I don't know I want to buy into a world and I want to feel like I am like living in this bubble that only one artist could create that's really important to me to be able to kind of like access the aesthetics. So I care a lot about that, yeah. I also think that music can play into the aesthetic too. I treat it all as like a package deal, you know. It all feeds into each other and plays off one another. So I think it's all pretty integral to being an iconic artist, in my opinion. But I know that you know, there are plenty of people out there who will disagree with that, and that's fine. But I think it's also about building a character sometimes for for an audience. And it also, you know, becomes part of the performance, part of the show, part of, you know, each stage of that singer's career. How would you describe your aesthetic at the moment? My aesthetic at the moment, I would describe it as <laughs> bloodthirsty pop diva, I think. I'm into like, that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have to say I'm I'm completely in awe of of how much you do and I have more strings to your to your bow. I mean, obviously we're sat in the podcast sphere at the moment. Mm-hmm. Your your series on Radio 1, so you know, you're very familiar with this and um but how how do you feel, you know, kind of being on the other side, you know, interviewing people instead of being asked the questions? Are you quite relaxed in that space? Yeah, I am because generally I know the people that I'm interviewing quite well. It's friends mainly. And there's definitely been a couple of people I've interviewed who maybe I don't know as well. And that's always been like a bit more nerve wracking, I suppose. Who is that? I interviewed the director, Edgar Wright, a few weeks ago. And I know him a little bit, but I also don't know him like that well I love his work I know his work very well but him as a person we've only hung out like a couple of times and also I've never interviewed like a film director before so it just sort of felt like a new tier of like oh shit like I have to be really like pro so that was definitely a bit more scary but I think I handled it I think he had a good time you know I didn't get any negative feedback so (laughs) Well, it seems like you have worked with every iconic name in the industry um, or everyone is queuing up to work with you. You've got these amazing kind of barrier-breaking women like Lizzo and Lady Gaga, Mm. which is, you know, you are a barrier-breaking woman yourself. Is there anyone that you feel you've learnt a lot from or who has given you kind of advice that you've taken on more than others? Yeah, Robin is someone who I've learnt a lot from and has given me great advice But I'm also, I feel like I'm just like constantly learning from her from afar as well. You know, like 
we know each other a little and have hung out a few times. And I remember the first time that we hung out was actually probably in like 2012 or 11 when uh, we were both on this festival tour in Australia where there are a lot of bands all kind of like traveling around together. And that at that point in time was very, very intimidating to me because this was like the first time I'd done anything like this. And I was young and everybody was so much cooler than I was. And I just felt like a loser and I wanted to partake, but I kind of had that like playground feeling of just like being the odd one out, you know? And I think Robin could sort of see that I was going through that and she just approached me and was like, I don't know, she was just like, hey, Charlie, you know, you're really cool and you should just be yourself and it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks of you. And she, it was just, she didn't have to do that and she didn't know me and she just sort of came over and was just so cool and like wanted to talk to me and also just wanted to tell me that like everybody sort of sometimes feels this way and it's okay and just like relax and be yourself and you know it's it's not the most like groundbreaking of <laughs> advice like now I hear that I'm like oh yeah obviously but I don't know at the time that really it just I needed that and that was really cool and yeah I mean I just think she's like broken the mold of what it is to be a woman in pop music so many times and has paved the way for so many other artists, myself and many of my peers included. And yeah, I I just think she's really something so special. And it just it just feels like she moves quicker than than other people, which it actually reminds me a lot of, of the way that you're you've been working as well. Um, Thank you. And also to get support like that from from someone like her. You know, and it is because you just don't, sometimes do need somebody just to kind of lean over and be like, it's it's all okay. Yeah. And actually, that's another thing I suppose that she taught me, which is that it's cool to be kind. Like, that really is such a lame sentence when you say it out loud, but it's so true. Like, she is and always has been a very, very kind person to me, to my friends, to anyone. And I think that that is so valuable and goes a really, really long way. So I think she sort of taught me that too. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure to be cool and a bit aloof. And, you know, I think people generally like think that I'm a bit like that just because of my tone of voice and the fact that 50% of the time I'm hungover. But I promise like I am a kind person and Robin's really taught me that. (laughs) Um, I think, well, we, we we know that you're a kind person. Um, I think you're you definitely are using your position to kind of amplify marginalised voices. And I know that, you know, you've called out on social media the idea of double standards across the music industry and sexism. Do you think that things have changed at all since you've, since you've started? Um, yeah, I think since I signed a record deal when I was 16... I actually think a lot has changed. That was 13 years ago now, yeah. Um, And whilst I think there always could be more change, like, yeah, I do think things have changed. I think, you know, even from when I just signed, there were very much certain specific roles that women could play in pop music. 
And there weren't many of them, you know? And I feel like now some of the biggest artists in the world are so far outside of that mold, you know, it's been broken. It's been absolutely trashed. Like there is no, there are no rules on like how to be a female pop star now, you know, like. What do you think those rules were? Well, I think it was, you had to be skinny and not that vocal and sit within the parameters of either like a sex symbol or a victim. And I don't think that that is really there anymore because I think there are many, many different voices being represented within mainstream pop music now. And I think that that's really special and and really important. Yeah, I agree. And also I think it's, a, it's you know, a lot because of what people think pop music was then and what actually pop music is now. Mm. Um, and I feel that there used to be a kind of snobbery around the word pop, which actually I think, you know, they've, artists like yourself have just completely broken down that perception. Yeah, thank you. You mentioned earlier that you are working on another album already. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So right. you have talked about being a workaholic, mm. <laughs> which, which, seeing, which seeing everything that you do do is... Um, yeah, it's it's making me feel like I certainly don't do enough with my day. <laughs> you know, going back to you having therapy, which is obviously incredibly important, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of working on your mental health. But how else do you look after yourself and making sure that you you can switch off and and actually take time away in order to, as I said before, process actually everything that's going on? Well, it's something that I definitely struggle with. You know, I, I'm really, I'm really very much working all the time and I think also I you know the fact that I work with a lot of my friends it definitely like blurs the line between friendship and work you know like my two managers I've known since I was 11 we went to school together they used to both live with me and work out of an office in my house one of them got out of that which was smart um, but the other one still lives with me and it's amazing I would have it no other way but you know it's definitely sometimes it's like I can like just go and go and go and go and be like guys I thought about this idea and this idea and da, da, da. and they're like Charlie it's like Sunday at 4am like this is the boundary kind of thing and we've definitely got better at that for sure but you know I work with a lot of my friends I work one of my best friends is my photographer. We're always like just trying to do shoots for fun. But then there's also like, you know, there's like a point where it's like, okay, we've been like shooting something every day of the week for the past like three weeks. Now we need to just like not do that, you know? But one thing that I really love doing, which I haven't really been able to do the past couple of years just because, you know, COVID things, I really love spas. Like that's my real jam. That is where I fully switch off. Like even on a vacation, I don't really switch off. It's like I have to put my phone literally in a locker and like lock it away and then sit in some like steamy room and that's the time that I switch off. But yeah, I haven't really done much of that this past couple of years to be honest. So basically when you're when you're forced to and then somebody basically has you on a table yeah. and yeah. is massaging you, that's the only time you kind of stop. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, yeah. But do you apply that kind of that, you know, because obviously you apply yourself 100% to, to your work, but is that has that been something that's 
you know, when you were growing up, were you like that? Were you always going basically like 100% and a thousand miles an hour all the time? Yes. <laughs> One thing therapy has taught me is that, yes, the way that I was raised very much dictated that personality trait. You know, my dad is an exceptionally hard worker, was starting his own businesses from when he was 14. And when I say businesses, I think his first business was he set up a museum in his garden shed <laughs> and told all his friends that, you know, he was having a museum opening, but they had to pay like 20p to get in. <laughs> so, you know, it was like a show of rocks or something. He was always very sort of entrepreneurial, I suppose. <laughs> you know, so he was very much like a hustler from from when he was younger. And my mom, you know, she grew up in Uganda and her whole life was uprooted when her and her family were removed from the country by Idi Amin. And so they sort of came over to the UK to start a life. So there was a lot of determination and fight within them, I suppose. So I think that was just sort of instilled in me. Like, you work hard. Like, that's the narrative. <laughs> so, yeah, I did work really hard because I just, it's, it's all I'd been around, you know, and sometimes would feel guilty if I wasn't doing something that was deemed productive, which is, I think, something that I still struggle with now, you know. So you're not somebody who sits and watches, like, the binge watches Netflix? To be honest, I wasn't. But through quarantine, I discovered Love Island. And <laughs> that is definitely... By the way, I have not finished this current season, so please, no spoilers. No spoilers, no spoilers. No spoilers. That's my new spa, which is unfortunate, but true. From your incredible work ethic and your hunger for everything, you have achieved an incredible amount, as I've, I've mentioned many times through this. What are your hopes? Are you somebody who's a planner? Like, are you, have you planned what, you, you know, what your next chapter will be? In, t in terms of, like, personal life planning, I'm very much just like, whatever happens, happens. Go with the flow, be spontaneous. The entire direction of my life... It's based off of what's happening with my work, you know? So for me, I'm just like, well, I there's no way I could stop working to sort of have a break to do anything else. I think whatever the five-year plan of life is in any capacity, it just includes me, like, continuing to create because I would be totally lost without it. And I don't know to even what capacity that is, like if it's continuing to make music or doing something else. But I just know I need to feel creatively inspired. That's really the plan. Just continuously do what makes me feel creatively inspired. And then that could veer off into any direction at any point, but that's really sort of like the baseline. And also, you know, I'm in a very, very lucky position where I love what I do. I love working. Like sometimes when people are like, you need to just like just take a day off. I'm like, but why? Like, what would I do? Like, I'd be just sat there, like, itching to, like, I don't know, make a fucking mood board or something. Like, I just love what I do so much. It's fun. You know, if I didn't think it was fun, I wouldn't do it. 
That's yeah, that's the main thing. As long as you're having fun, keep doing it. Yeah. As part of this podcast series, you know, we're looking at new kind of incredible trailblazers, which you completely personify. But who do you consider to be an inspiring new trailblazer to you? I really admire this artist, Pink Panthress. She is a singer, songwriter, producer, really, really makes brilliant music. And I kind of think she's the definition of a trailblazer because I feel like everything that she's doing in terms of like how she's releasing music, how she's navigating her sort of campaign, so to speak, is just really fresh. And I think she kind of like has the potential to to become like the voice of a generation. So yeah, I think I would I would pick Pink Panthress. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank, well, thank you. You've inspired me to go and make a mood board tonight as well and not put the TV on. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Have fun. Enter the code the new guard at the checkout for 10% off your first Net-A-Porter order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. The New Guard was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Kay Barron and produced by Laura Hyde. The team at Netaporte was led by senior editor Katie Barrington, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield. The executive producer at Chalk and Blade was Ruth Barnes, with original music by Alex Port Felix and engineering by Matt Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs>